Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, and you can find this on page 6 of your bulletin, no, sorry, yeah, page 5 of your bulletin, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, if you would stand with me at the reading of God's word, the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, this is God's word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Please lift your hands with me in prayer. Father, we do come again, acknowledging our need that you would pour out from your word good news of grace in Jesus and that you would instruct us and empower us to live the kind of lives that you've called us to, not only as individuals, but as a body, as a family, as a local church. So God, we pray, bless us now to be both hearers and doers of your word. Renew us and revive us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I recently came across a video on the website of Yellowstone National Park uh, that was really compelling. And this video was about um, how they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone National Park and how the reintroduction of wolves transformed the ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park. I, I'd, I'd never heard of such a thing, but this is the way it went down. Before the wolves uh, were taken away from the park, they were kind of uh, exterminated from the park. Before, before, before that, uh, the park flourished. But then the wolves were taken away. And before the wolves were reintroduced, the, the park was rough and it was, it was in a sort of decline. The deer population of, of the park had, had become over, overgrown. And so all of these deer are eating up all the vegetation in the park. And they're causing a sort of barrenness. They reduced the vegetation to nothing. But the presence of the wolves changed the patterns of the deer and it allowed the vegetation to return. Trees quintupled in size in six years. And then, and then barren valley sides soon became forests of aspen. And when those forests came back, as soon as this happened, the songbirds and the migratory birds began to return to the park. And so you heard the sound of singing birds now through the park. And beavers started increasing in number because they like to eat the wood. But not only this, the beavers started to create dams in the rivers. And when they created these dams in the rivers, all kinds of other animals were able to find a habitat in those dams. There were, there were fish and there were amphibians and, and otters and, and all kinds of critters in the water. The wolves killed coyotes. And because of this, the number of rabbits and mice 
increased. And that brought more hawks and weasels and foxes and badgers. And then ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion. And then the bear population started to increase. The wolves even changed the behavior of the rivers. Because these wolves were introduced into the park, and they started pushing the populations around of, of species, new growth was able to take hold on the riverbanks, and it, provide, it, it, it prevented erosion of the riverbanks, and the channels of the banks narrowed, and pools began to show up in the rivers. And then at the end of this little video that I watched, it was an article with a video, this is what the narrator says, quote, the wolves, though small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Now, after I watched this powerful video, it got me to thinking about something. There is one reason why wolves have this dramatic impact on the entire ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park, and it's this. These animals were being true to their design. The wolves were simply being wolves. They were being true to their design. Every other species in the park flourished because wolves were being true to their design. There were animals that were, that were now able to make a home in the park because these animals were being true to their design. There was new growth throughout the entire park because these animals were being true to their design. The entire park experienced a sort of revival because these animals were being true to their design. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he knew that, though small in number, they could transform the social and cultural ecosystem of that city. But there was one thing that the churches in this city had to do in order to have this kind of impact. The church had to be true to their design. Now, by design, the church is a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, gospel-bearing, mercy-showing, sin-forgiving, people-serving, God-glorifying community that worships the triune God in spirit and in truth. That's who we are by design. And if the church in any particular place begins to live according to its design, well, then we can see flourishing taking place, not only in the church, but in the, the culture in which we are situated, in the cities and towns in which we have been planted. If the church is true to its design, we will see new growth, not only within the church, but around the city. If the church is true to its design, we can indeed see revival, not only within the church, but within our neighborhoods where God has placed us. There would be, there would be a fullness of flourishing, not just for Christians, but for everyone around us. And so the Apostle Paul, knowing that this is the case, he writes to the church in Philippi 
And in our, in our passage for this morning, the apostle begins to focus in on the one thing that the church needs to do, the one thing that the church needs to become, the one focus of the church, the design of God's church is that we would live as citizens of the kingdom. That's the design. What's the one thing we have to do? We have to live as citizens of God's kingdom. It's that simple. You can spend your time focusing on a whole lot of other things, but the overarching thing that we need to see in the passage for today, the overarching thing in the Christian life, is that we live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. There is nothing that matters more for our individual lives. There's nothing that matters more for our corporate life together. And there's nothing that matters more for our mission than our living as citizens of the kingdom. So as we continue through our series in the book of Philippians entitled Working Together for the Gospel, I want us to see something. Make this connection. The strength of our gospel partnership is directly related to us living according to our heavenly citizenship. Our partnership is affected by our citizenship. The strength of our partnership is shaped by how faithful we are to living according to our citizenship. And so we're going to get into our text for this morning and see that our identity as citizens will determine our vitality as partners. So let's talk about living as citizens, and we're going to begin with verse 27. I'm going to keep it on the brief side this morning because we, uh, we got to show some love to our family over in Columbia Heights, Grace Meridian Hills, in need of a... Uh, they said they needed a mediocre preacher, so I said I can fit that bill. So I'm going to be racing out of here to go and help out. But we're going to focus on this one idea. I want you to walk out of here with this. What does it mean for me to live as a citizen? And how can I begin to repent and believe afresh so that I can live up into what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Verse 27, Paul says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, he says only as if to say there is nothing more important than this. If you're going to focus on anything in your life, focus on this. You can forget to do a lot of things, Christian, but do not forget this one thing. There is nothing that matters more than this. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is a compact statement that needs a little bit of explanation because there is one verb that controls the entirety of this section, and that is let your manner of life. That's the one verb that controls everything. But there's something behind this in the Greek text that you need to appreciate. There is a Greek verb that is used, and it has, it has more flavor than is able to be brought into our English translation here in our ESV translation. And that verb is, is the Greek verb politueste. Someone say politics. It's, it's where we get the word for politics. Politueste was the word that was used in order to tell people how they were to live as citizens. This word means to live as a citizen. Now, one of the things that we have to appreciate about the, the context of the Philippian church is that these folks... They were a Roman military colony. That's what Philippi was. 
They were a colony of Rome in, in the province of Macedonia. And they had possession of what was known as the Italic Rite. And what that meant was, even though they were a long way from home, they had the rights of Roman citizens. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Even though they were a long way from home, they had every right that Roman citizens had. It meant that even though they were far away, they enjoyed the same rights, the same privileges, and the same responsibility as those who were living on Italian soil. The Philippian people, they took great pride in their identity as citizens of Rome. It was, it was a powerful thing in their hearts. They were, they were proud to be citizens of Rome and they took on all the dignity and all of the rights and all of the responsibilities that came with being a Roman citizen and they responded in that way in the, in the way in which they lived. Essentially, here's the deal. I'm painting a picture for you because what Paul is doing is powerful. Here's the deal. The Roman Empire was spreading all over the world and they were planting cities all over the world. And when they planted these cities, what they were trying to do is they were trying to plant not just a city, but they were trying to plant a Roman city with Roman values, Roman commitments, and Roman ways of life. They wanted to bring everybody under the rule of Caesar and into accord with the Roman way of life. And the only way that this could happen was if people like the Philippians lived like citizens of Rome. That's what Politueste is communicating. It ties in with the bigger picture of Rome's expansion plan. The, the Philippians were expected to align their lives according to Roman orthodoxy, according to Roman values, according to Roman laws, whether they were just or unjust. Now, do you see what Paul's doing in this text? Do you, see, do you see what he's doing? He's telling the Philippians, I know that you're a Roman colony with all the rights and all the privileges and all the duties that come with that citizenship, but there is a greater truth that you must take into account. And it's this, the kingdom of God is spreading around the world and the Lord is planting churches. He's planting his people all around the world in order to spread the rule of Christ and the kingdom way of life. He wants everyone to come into a saving knowledge of who the real king is. Caesar is not the Lord, Jesus is Lord. You know, that's what they called Caesar. They said Caesar is Lord and Savior. But Paul says, I'm stepping up to announce to you that Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. The, the church, Paul is saying to them, is supposed to be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. We're supposed to be an outpost of the love and the goodness and the truth and the faithfulness and the mercy that exists in the heavenly kingdom. We are supposed to relate to one another in the way that people will relate to one another when sin is no more. We're supposed to love one another and commit to one another and serve one another the way it will be in the heavenly kingdom. But the only way that the kingdom of God will spread in the world, the only way that people will come to see that Jesus 
is Lord and Savior. The only way that we will spread kingdom values and kingdom commitments is if we live as citizens of the kingdom. Do you see the connection? God could just zap the world, microwave the world, and make it what he wants it to be. But God, you know, God's not always that efficient because he's involved people like us to be a part of his plan. But he does guarantee the work. He guarantees the work. God has allowed us to participate. And so it's a beautiful thing to know that the one thing we have to focus on is not so much all of the doing, but who we are to become, how we are to identify. We're to identify as citizens. That's who we are. You won't fix the doing problem, serving, loving, being active in the neighborhood, caring about justice, caring about the poor. You won't fix the doing problem by focusing on doing, not long term. And you won't do it for the right motivations. If you fix the being problem, the doing part will follow. Who are you, Christian? Who are you, Grace Mosaic? You are citizens with all of the rights of citizenship, with all of the privileges of that citizenship. You are citizens of heaven. Paul is contextualizing his message and framing the message up in this way would have resonated with the Philippians because of their civic pride and political sensibilities. And I can think of no more poignant reminder as we head into the 4th of July than for us to take stock, to think about our heavenly citizenship. In two days, we're going to hear lots of talk about freedom. You're going to hear lots of statements about civic pride and see lots of flags waving. You're going to see the stars and stripes all over the place. Some of y'all probably got stars and stripes rompers ready to break them out. That is grounds for church discipline. I just want to let you know. <laughs> Thousands of people, we know this, being, being D.C. folk, Thousands of people are going to pour into the National Mall and they are going to marvel at the monuments that have been established to the, the fathers of our nation. But all of this, my friends, pales in comparison to what we have as citizens of God's kingdom. American citizens can celebrate the freedom of speech, but kingdom citizens can celebrate freedom from guilt, shame, and fear. American citizens can share their civic pride, but kingdom citizens can marvel at redemptive humility. American citizens can marvel at the, the stone monuments of our founding fathers, but, but kingdom citizens can marvel that the heavenly father rolled away the stone and raised his son from the dead. That's the good news of the gospel. America may have won the war with Britain, but Jesus Christ won the war with sin, death, and the devil. That's what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. Americans can sing the star-spangled banner, but scripture says that God brought us into the banqueting house and his banner over us is love. Americans can be grateful for the stars and the stripes, but kingdom citizens marvel that by his stripes we have been healed we are kingdom citizens. 
And we must live up into the privileges of being citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And we must live up into the responsibilities of being citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We are to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And here's why. We're to let our lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our manner of life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ because Christ's manner of life produced the gospel. Do you see, do you see the flip? It's out of the gospel foundations that we live as citizens. We live worthily of the gospel because Christ lived in a way to produce the gospel. The good news this morning is this. The Son of God became a citizen of earth so that we could become citizens of heaven. That's good news. You know, he was not obligated to do that. But he lived as a citizen of this earth. He experienced fatigue. He experienced sadness and loss. He experienced injustice and brokenness around him. And because he lived through that faithfully and righteously, he has something to credit to our account. And he was able to die to take away our guilt and our transgression. This is the good news of God's grace. And when the good news gets a hold of us, it will begin to cause us to live in such a way that will transform where we're living. If we live as citizens of heaven, my friends, we will be the best kind of earthly citizens. We will be the best kind of earthly citizens if we live as heavenly citizens. And gospel citizenship will lead us to stronger and more fruitful gospel partnership. Could it be this is a question that we should mull on. Could it be that the source of our disunity in the church is that we operate in greater alignment with our American citizenship than with our heavenly citizenship? Could it be that we more strongly identify with conservative or liberal orthodoxies rather than Christian orthodoxy? Could that be one of the great sources of our divide? I... I want to encourage you all, because I'm super proud of you as my people, that I have seen the way that you all have lived together in love. Though many of you work on opposite sides of the political aisle, I have, I have been so grateful to see the way in which you have lived together in love, the way in which you have served one another, the way in which you have modeled civil discourse from a gospel center. I'm proud to know you, and I want us to continue to press on in that way, because the tensions of this world are only going to deepen, but therein lies the opportunity for us to be a light in the darkness, to show the world a different way of operating, though we may hold, and when we have every right to hold different political convictions, at the end of the day, our gospel convictions always trump. No matter what side you're on. I didn't mean to pun that, but it just worked this morning. <laughs> our gospel convictions always emerge above our political convictions. And so that, that's what it means to live as a citizen. We must hold our heavenly citizenship closer than our earthly citizenship. And then, my friends, we'll really see fireworks. Then we'll really see life, liberty, and the possession of happiness. Not just for us in the church, but for the people around us. Let's pray that God would make it so. Let's repent for our idolatries and let's 
lean in to this life of love to which he's called us as a community so that he may be glorified. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these friends and your work in their lives, for your work in the life of our community. I pray, Father, that you would help us, help us to see these things, that you want to plant your kingdom all around the world, that it's not just happenstance that Grace Mosaic wound up here in Northeast D.C. You planted us here so that your kingdom would spread in Northeast D.C. You planted us here so that people in our surrounding neighborhoods would come to know your love. You planted us here to be an encouragement to all of the churches that were here long before we were ever a thought in your mind for planting. Lord, we want to be the kind of community that encourages existing churches here in Northeast D.C. We, we want to be the kind of church that spreads your kingdom love, that spreads your faithfulness, that, that exercises our freedom of speech in the gospel to tell other people that Jesus is Lord and that he loves the sinner and that no one is so far outside his reach that he cannot rescue and no one is so far beyond the need of your grace that they don't need to humble themselves and turn back to Jesus. So Lord, we pray for your help. We pray for your strength and enablement to live as your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.